1: there, welcome to this Wolves Fancast Podcast Extra. Now despite a frustrating defeat at the weekend to Rotherham and an emphatic win on Wednesday night against Fulham, unfortunately no podcast this week. Apologies everyone but we will be back next week to review the game against Cardiff. Um, In the meantime, listen to this podcast extra where I caught up with award-winning author and columnist for The Independent, Michael Calvin. Now, Michael has written the books Family, Life, Death and Football and the award-winning Nowhere Men. I caught up with uh, Michael this week to talk to him about Kenny Jackett and Wolves. Take a listen. So, I'm delighted to be joined by um, award-winning author and uh, columnist for The Independent, uh, Michael Calvin. Michael, how are you? I'm very well, sir. you? Yes, I'm very good. I'm very good. A good win were Wolves last night against Fulham.
2: Yeah, I think
1: that could have uh, ramifications for Mr. McGaff, I think. Yeah, it might be. We'll we'll see what happens. Um, Now, let's go back to uh, May last year. Um, Kenny Jackett was appointed head coach of Wolves. Um, When he got the job, you spoke to one of our writers, Charlie, um, who was doing a piece on on Jackett. And you Mm. said to Charlie that um, he was the perfect fit for Wolves. Why um, do you think that Kenny is the perfect fit for Wolves?
2: Well... You needed someone who radiates stability after the free fall of the two pre- previous seasons. And I think it wasn't just the very fact that you were relegated on the, in, in successive seasons, it was the manner in which you were relegated and the air of, to be honest, faintly suppressed chaos at the club. Um, I can remember I, I saw Stolbacher's last game at Luton in the FA Cup and, and it was shambolic. And I sensed the virulence of the fans as well, and the patience had gone. And I think Ken, when he was doing his homework on the football club, um, realised very early that one of his priorities had to be um, making that connection again between the football club, or more specifically his team, uh, and the fans themselves. And he did that in a very measured way and a very deliberate way, he, it was interesting. I saw him very early in that season at, at, um, at Compton. Um, and he was very deliberate in the way that he marginalized, um, the bomb squad, if you like, or group three or whatever they're called. Um, that was just in, in terms of, uh, geography. He made sure that they trained as far away from the first team group as possible. He, He showed them professional respect and and common courtesy, but he made it very clear that they were not involved in his planning. got the fact that it was a big club. I know know, managers always talk about, oh, yeah, I'm joining a a big club. But he knew of that through his father, his late father. Um, He was a great student of the game and a great teacher, sort of life teacher for Ken. Um, and they, they did talk about you know, the old Wolves days, the great Wolves days. And so he was aware of the club's stature and therefore aware of the privilege of, of that position that he's got. And I think the third thing which probably swayed the selection panel over those three interviews over about three, three or four weeks was the fact that he had a deserved reputation as being a, a very, very good development coach. Um, you know, I'm sure you guys know the sort of thumbnail sketch of his career, but he started yeah. off, you know, at Watford, and uh, you know, he had a, a very, very good career. 67 year old caps uh, for Wales, FA Cup final appearance, but he he basically had to give up with 28, 29 with a knee injury, and for the next five years, he essentially did a lot of youth coaching at, at Watford, and, and he did it unpaid, pretty much. I think the thing that that, um, attracted Ken to to the owner and and the chief exec was the fact that he won. He could could slot into the the, the structure that they have in place with with the sporting director and head coach type role. But also, he had a reputation of making unheralded players much better. and And he worked very well with young players. I saw... Did a lot of work with him when he was at Millwall, and, and watched him make good players much better, and young players responded to him. There's um, a very calm, measured coach, and I think it's, it's, it's interesting that, that the bigger clubs, when he was at Millwall, trusted him with their younger players. So there is a there there is this ability to actually make do his work on the training ground and make the group a better group. He's ruthless. He's, he's you know, a very, very sort of mild mannered sort of guy, but he is ruthless when he needs to be, because let's face it, football is a pretty ruthless profession, and yeah. he's he's comfortable with harsh decisions, as well because he because he, he'll come to a conclusion and he'll follow it through, um, and that's why, you know, for instance, when you made that mental leap that that group, group three or whatever you want to call them weren't going to be in the plans. They weren't going to be in the plans. Kevin Dore got back in and, um, but, but the core of that group, you know, he said, look, it was better for them to move on as well, eventually. What I think he's done and the the root of his success, I think, is, is, is actually building that bridge between the fans and, and the football club again. And he made his points to the players very effectively. I remember when he was, he was planning his first pre-season and he said to me, he said, I, I, I've got the canal run for them. And, he, and basically he devised a canal run at half seven in the morning for the for early pre-season. Um, and I noticed this season he had them doing an early morning run through the centre of the city. yeah. And I, that, I thought that was terrific because then that is, well, look, you know, you're running through, you know, you running for a time when people are plotting the work. To work in their offices or their factories or whatever it is, so it's a two-way process there. the, 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 the footballers themselves are reminded: look, you're not, you know, you are, you are in a bubble, but you, you must not, you know, you must be aware of your privileges, of your profession. And what he did, he, he, as I say, he's always been a very good judge of a player, younger player, and he's got a great memory for people and players. Uh, like he'd been interested in Danny Bath when he was at Millwall.
1: Uh, oh right, cause okay.
2: Because you know he'd seen his potential there, and he loved him. Uh, and I can remember uh, the, the book that I did with uh, Millwall was called Family. And one one of the one of the games was at Colchester when Danny was on um, was on loan there. And um, it's funny enough, interesting enough. I've just spent a day with the current Colchester manager, a guy called John, Joe Dunn, who was uh, coached that day. First so think coach that day with Amy Boothroyd. And we talked about Danny Bath today, and 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 he said even he was he was a very very young player at that stage, but he said look, you realise there there was someone with real character, and someone who would thrive within the game, and you know he, he accepted responsibility. There were leadership tendencies there when he was 18, 19, whatever he was. And Ken always remembered that, and, and and when he went into the club, he was one of the first ones that he knew that he was trying to try and build something around. Um, and he's not afraid to give young players their
1: head. You mentioned just uh, before then about the your book, uh, Family Light, Death and Football, uh, mm. which is about uh, Millwall's promotion year in 2009 and 2010. Uh, for those who know who don't know about the book, what is it about?
2: Uh, it's about football unplugged, if you like. It's it's. It, I, I spent the year um, embedded at Millwall with Ken. Basically, Ken and I... We grew up on the same council estate in Watford, so our dads knew one another and I'd always wanted to do a book which basically showed that showed football in the raw as it were. And the only way I could do that was actually just to just to absolutely immerse myself in the football club. So I called what I came one day and um I said, Look, this is my idea, uh, I want to. I want to have complete access everywhere in the football club. And you know, normally if you make that request, you just get laughed out of that, laughed out of the house. But he said he, he, he's quite decisive, and he, he thought about it for about five seconds. And said, "Yeah, okay, so we'll do this." I said, I'll, "I, you know, I, I'll, I'll tell them the he say, I want to do this. We'll do it." And basically, I had free access. So I was in the dressing room all the time, on the bench, uh, in coaches' meetings with the board. Uh, essentially, anything that went on in a football club I was aware of and involved in, um, and that was really interesting because it really ena- enabled me to study Ken uh, uh, as a coach and as a man as a, as, a, as a manager and also a very distinctive football club um, in a way that probably football clubs haven't been studied for I would think thirty to forty years the last. Last similar book that had that type of access was was probably The Glory Game by um, Hunter Davis, which is on Spurs in the late sixties. So, you know, and I was very aware of my privilege in that, and um, it was an interesting exercise. It was more than interesting. It was, it was really it was, it was a wonderful privilege to do it, uh, because I, I, it's interesting that I got assimilated into the group uh, of players very early. So that, you know, when there's that sort of 10 to 3 huddle and the yee moments just before the buzzer sounds when you go out to, to play the game, I was dragged into the, the huddle and you know, the high fiving and everything else because they felt like I was part of the group. I was just, I was just Mike the writer rather than Mike the footballer. God, you know, God forbid me, Mike the footballer. You know, I'm, I'm, a, <laughs> I'm a very, very, very bad Sunday league centre half. Everything you know, the the book has dressing room fights and you know the realities of modern modern football and the harsh decisions that Ken has to do. And in fact, the one thing about the book after it came out, it was thankfully went down really well. Uh, He got a telling-off from his mum because I I decided, well, I decided, I decided in the book to use the language as as what? So obviously it was you know, to put it politely, industrial. Yeah, and and so Ken's mum sort of I chided him for for swearing so much, um, but you know that's that's just the football workplace, you know. Um, but it's interesting that book's been very very widely read within football by other managers and coaches, and it's gone down really well because they see in that book what happens at their football club is real, um, and Ken was very very brave and far sighted to allow me that sort of access. Um and, you know, we worked in a spirit of mutual trust and, and respect. And um you know, I like to think that I painted a very accurate picture of, of of him and how he does his job and how he why he is so good at his job and um uh, in, in a way, uh, it's interesting that the football club itself, Millwall, use the book now as part of their marketing because it basically you know, the book like, uh, they have this family ethos, and, and it's interesting that um, I think Ken's brought some of that to, to Wolves. But what I've noticed over the last year, I think he's grown in stature measurably. Um, there's a there's a there's a there's a maturity in in his work that uh, uh, really testifies to his, 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 you know, the advancement of knowledge and the, well, the accumulation of knowledge and the advancement of of his understanding of his job. Um, and, you know, manage, management is a really sort of multifaceted job. And he um, he, he, he understands the system at Wolves. He, he, he respects the culture of Of wolves, he understands the strategy and has grown into the system. So that link that he's got with Kevin Fellwell is a very positive link for him, and it enables him. uh, You know, there's a very, very good recruitment section at the club. uh, You know, with uh, Strieweber and that group, and he realises that because when he was at Millwall it was it wasn't he didn't have that sophistication behind him so um, now he's got a group which in in whom he trusts and respects he's always got the he'll have the final say on players but there is a a real um, sort of working relationship between them which is very positive and you know I've seen it I've seen it work so you know, as he said, look. You know, I don't know now. if I don't have to spend all my afternoons on the phone to agents about players because that's not my role anymore. You know, those those calls are taken by Ke- by Kevin, and you know they they work very well together and very proactively together. So it's my like, it's the old story, isn't it? You know, apply two heads mm-hmm. to one problem, and you, you've got a, you've got a, you've got a more chance of getting a solution. So I've been impressed yeah. with the, the recruitment and. um yeah, uh, you know, I, I still think there's, there could be some to come, um, but you know he's, he's pretty comfortable with the group. I think he's got.
1: He seems to be uh, quite involved with the, the the transfer side of things. He seems to want to go out and see players, which I know you've chronicled in family life, death and football, and in your other book, uh, the Nowhere Men. You said that obviously some managers don't seem to be wanting to do that. Is that one of Kenny's strong points that he, he does really like to get involved in that side of the game and go out and watch the players rather than waiting on the scout reports and just to then make decision based on that. Oh no, no, he's,
2: he's what I call a scouting manager where yeah. you know, he gets, he, he gets, he go, he does the miles, he goes up and down the motorways, and uh, you know Joe goes with him as well, Joe Allen, um, and they, I think, well, I think that the, the, the the difference is, he's, he, you know, in terms of like match analysis and things like that, he didn't have that level of, of, of support when he was at Millwall, and he's grown into that system. But he has a very, very clear idea of of the sort of player that he wants, and you know, he can put names to faces and roles. You know. um, and I think you know, it's no no state secret that, that if there's a chance to get a striker in, he'd probably try and do so. I think I think that's probably if I look at it as a as a as an educated outsider, uh, I would look at I would look at walls and probably say, uh, I think Tommy Rowe will be a very, very good player for you. I think you you know, I think he will be whenever I saw him play for Peterborough over the last three or four seasons, I said to myself, Why on earth isn't this kid playing in the Premier League? I I just thought there was something about him and he's a good character. And I think when he when he's fully fit I think you I think you'll do very well for for the club. Uh, I didn't know much about the other lads. You got Van La uh,
1: but, but yeah, Van La Parra.
2: Yeah, um, but he seems to you know, he seems to have got in, and he's got in above Jacobs and and and, and Henry. Um, you know, Henry was a good example of of the way that Ken. Uh, he was basically, you know, he came through uh, at uh, he was sort of mentioned early on in his career in the same breath as Theo Walcott. Uh, and he came through early, but didn't kick on in that sort of 18 to 21 type area. Uh, But Ken got him in on loan initially uh, from Reading, um, uh, and then bought him, um, and he made him a player. He made him a player on the training ground. The the great thing was I could see the respect in which um, uh, Henry uh, held... Uh, Ken um so he's made him a better player so you know they've got good options. you you've got good options in that in those areas um uh as I said you know earlier on I think in Danny Bath um you know he, he's always raved about him and his potential I think it was interesting also that um he brought Sam Ricketts back you know they go back a long way um and again, someone of a fantastic stature within the game, and great. He, again, another one who does it the right way. And I think, again, that might have been a conscious effort. That, you know, you have one or two people around a place who didn't do it the right way, and I think, they you know, some role models need to be imported. And I think, I think he did, he did that really well. Yeah. Um, but I think, I think the great thing about him, he's, he's a, he's a pragmatist, and he'll, he'll work with what he's got. Um, and it's quite a strong group, and I think he has confidence within the group. Um, and I think I think you'll have a good season. Um, mm. uh, and I think probably, it will, I, I, I think you know it is realistic to think in terms of the playoffs. Um, and to do that in the championship as it stands at the moment would be a heck of an achievement. Um, you know, Wolves fans shouldn't. Sort of sit back contentedly and say, "Well, oh well, we actually we walked the league one last year. We're going to do really well this season." It doesn't work like that because the championship now is is, is in essence the Premier League two. Um You know, I had to think that will be formalised by by probably 2020. I think we'll have, we'll have a two-tiered Premier League um, because of the you know Wolves benefited from the pa- from the parachute payments, and that does you know that distorts that league massively. Which is why it was a fantastic achievement for Sean Dyeshead last season to get Burnley up.
1: Players that Kenny's bought so far seem to have sound heads. Is it is he really looking for a certain type of character when he's buying someone? Is it it's not just about obviously who's who's a good player, they've got to have a certain type of character to fit into what he wants from a player.
2: Yeah, yeah. It was funny, there was a uh I can't remember the game now, but we were in a dressing room somewhere and uh I think it was in, I think it was Yo, it was Yeovil, and this was, that was the year that we were all going up, and they nicked a, nicked a draw in the ninety fifth minute, and uh, it was the usual mayhem of, of a dressing room after that, and was, we were sitting on the, the physio bench afterwards and eating some sort of like curly crusted sandwich, and uh, uh, he was saying, because we were talking about, it. I said, oh, you, you know, you got out of jail there massively, mate, and. He said, he said, "He said, he said, you know what? It's a character that is a really underestimated thing, and and so that 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 that, that sort of stuck in my mind. You know, speaking to a to, to journalist today, you know, he, he made a point of saying what a good guy,' not you know, not a footballer, what a good person that he thought Danny Bath was. So, you know, that is a very very important factor because it's." It doesn't take much to destabilize a football team and a football club, yeah, if you've got players of the, the correct quality. At, at Millwall, um, I could, in the book, I, I identified them as the governors, uh, and they were basically senior pros who set very high personal and professional standards for the group. In other words, they saw, if there was someone there who wasn't pulling his weight or messing about, they got older. Sometimes quite literally... Uh, right, uh, And, uh, uh, you know, I see a couple of governors within that dressing room. Um, uh, Kevin MacDonald um, was a long-term um, uh, Millwall target. Well, Jam- Jamie Johnson, Kenzel uh, Chief Scout at, um, at Millwall, who's now with Derby. Um, he watched him a number of times. Funny enough, he asked me to watch him once. Um, when he was playing for Sheffield United at Brentford, I think. Um, and, um, uh, so again, that, that's something that's stuck in the back of Ken's brain. And, you know, from all accounts, you know, he was a, he was a, a pivotal figure in the promotion season. Um, so again, you know, it's just use of intelligence really, you know, and, and using your experience and, um, you know, the interesting thing with Ken is that he also charts everything that he does. So he has a, a journal and he puts down every session that he's ever done, uh, like a diary sort of thing so that he can go back and say, well, okay, five years ago, uh, I did, I put this session on and, you know, this is, this is, this is my deep brief on that session. And so, you yeah, know, again, very meticulous guy, very measured and, um, I'd love to see him, not just on a personal level, but on a professional level. I'd love to see him in the Premier League because, uh, and uh, I'm talking to a lot of managers at the moment, and one of the common themes are the fact that British coaches don't get the opportunities they deserve in, in the modern game. And so to have someone like him in the way that, say, Sean Dyche has gone into the Premier League with Burnley would be a really good thing for British coaching as a whole, in, you know, so that. You yeah, have if you look at someone like, I don't know, I think it's really important that Brendan Rodgers does very well with Liverpool simply because that is a prime example of a British coach who actually is quite different to Ken. He's a very emotionally intelligent guy, Brendan. Um, but it's important that he does well because then a club chairman some, somewhere might think, well, OK, I'll take a punt on, you know, Charlie Farms-Barnes. As a British homegrown coach, I think that's really important because there are some good guys I'm, I'm, I'm meeting at the moment, and you wonder where their career path will lead. You know, it's a classic case at the moment with all the, the stuff that's going on in the Crystal Palace. Why on earth isn't a Ken jacket or yeah. you know other equipment getting mentioned for that job? It's yeah. a fashion statement. You say football football yeah. managers a fashion, it's a, it's a fashion statement, and the great thing about Ken is that he endures around
1: all the sort of different festival areas really, I think he's even known for team in that too. Now if, I, um, if my research is correct, uh, Kenny Jacket's highest position as a manager uh, was with Millwall um, and he got to ninth in, I believe it was his first season of the Championship with Millwall, if yeah, not yeah. mistaken Now with all the resources he's got behind him in Wolves, do you think that he can now beat that, that, that market and even get promoted, even, you know, if, even if it's not this season? Uh, in the future and, and achieve that, that high position and get into the Premier League?
2: I see no reason why not. Um, you know, I think Paul, um, you know, as I said earlier on, I think the playoffs, you know, you've got a good chance or not, you've got a decent chance of getting into the playoffs with, with the with the proviso that you possibly get another striker. Um, I think he's ready for it. I think, you know, if you think about it, what, he's 51, 52, something like that. But, he, but I think he's at the, in the prime of his career. As I said earlier, I think he's grown in stature with Wolves. He's now a big club manager. And um, I, I see no reason why Wolves can't fulfil their potential under him. Um, it was a turnaround that needed to happen very quickly. I think it was important that, that Wolves got out of league one last season in the manner that they did and the speed with which they did. Because as he says, you know, you, you saw a few clubs like Southampton and Leeds blundering about there for a while, and you need to get out if you've got any pretensions for being a big club. Um, I don't think it will... I think it's interesting that in in certain terms of, of like, transfer budgets, you know, well, you, you think about it last night, you know, McCormack, 11 million quid. Um, you know, Kent Ken hasn't spent much money. In modern terms, and um, it'll be interesting to see. You see, the interesting thing about him is he spends his money almost as if it's his own. Um, But the Tommy Rose signing, I think, is a classic Ken signing. You know, he'd seen him and watched him over the years, and you know, to get him for buttons or nothing. It was, was a, I think, a brilliant signing. I think he will do, as I said earlier on. I think he'll do really
1: well. And just uh, finally, obviously, Wolves, as we've mentioned, are, are trying to get a strike before the end of the window. A bit, you know, some f- frustrations around fans. Should um, fans just be obviously patient and trusting in Kenny that he's going to do the right thing?
2: Yeah. You see, I think the thing about when you've been involved in youth coaching, as Ken has been as a development coach, you 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 have a long term view. You know, you have to have a long-term mentality. He is a long-term person in a short-term business, and that's where the fans can actually, you know, repay part of the bargain, if you like. I think he's, I think he showed, I think he's showed respect for and an affinity with the fans at Wolves. I think, you know, he loves it. You know, he, he babbled on to me about the Carlisle game. You know, he couldn't get his head around 30,000 people. Watching a game against Carlisle, he was just like, "Wow, you know that was, that was fantastic." Um, so I think he's played his. I think he's played his role in restoring. I won't say the a uh, pride, but he's he's rebalanced the football club. He's he's recalibrated the football club, and I think he's made it. I think his great achievement. Okay, you know there's a cup, and there's hundred and three points, but I think the I think actually it's great achievement probably there's an unseen achievement, which is making the fans believe in the football club again and and believe in what the football club represents um, and if they don't get the playoffs this year it's not it's not a calamity he's not a bad manager overnight um, I think in the long term. Uh, providing there's consistency of purpose uh, and appropriate ambition uh, from the boardroom down, uh, I think he will get in the Premier League. I've got a hunch he will. Um, now, it might take three seasons. But, um, you know, I think that I'd say the great thing about him, he's got a bit of, he's got a bit of solidity about him. And I'll go back to what I said to, to your guys last year. He was the perfect fit for the football club, as it was.
1: Big thanks again to Michael Calvin for taking the time out to do that interview with us. You can get his two books to read now, uh, Family, Life, Death and Football, A Year on the Frontline with a Proper Club and the award-winning The Nowhere Men. We'll be back next week with our usual podcast to review the game against Cardiff. You can follow Michael on Twitter at Calvin Book. But obviously you can also follow us on Twitter at WWFC Fancast. Facebook, Wolves Football Fancast Show and like. And of course you can download the podcast uh, through iTunes, soundcloud.com forward slash Wolves Fancast. And of course iTunes, as I've just mentioned, uh, search for Wolves Fancast. Uh, For this week, it's bye from me. See you soon.